HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, helping restaurants bring hospitality online. Learn more at getbento.com slash opening soon. That's G-E-T-B-E-N-T-O dot com slash opening soon. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring interactions from drug studies in a laboratory. If this effect is as big as he's saying, somebody should have discovered this long before he did. To global wisdom on avoiding hangovers. Beber cerveza antes de tomar vino no previene los Be- síntomas. Beer before wine, you're going to be fine. Wine before beer, you're going to be queer. To the novel recipes developed by an Indian American family deep in the heart of Texas. And then my mom's sort of coming to America and learning that uh, white parents love to melt cheese on things to get their kids to eat it. She was like, this is genius. (laughs) Be sure to subscribe to Meat in 3. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Opening Soon on Heritage Radio Network. We are your hosts, Jenny Goodman. And I'm Alex McCreary. Opening Soon is a weekly show that will walk you through the steps of opening a restaurant through conversations with some of the world's greatest chefs, restaurateurs, and the vendors that help take their business from an idea to opening soon. Now that you know the what, let me fill you in on the why. So Jenny and I have been in the hospitality business for over 25 years. From getting my career start as a dishwasher, working up to a line cook, and then to a sous chef, and ultimately as a chef, helming a kitchen in New York City. I've been fortunate enough to be part of opening one restaurant as the chef in 2005 that still stands today, and humbled enough to have owned one restaurant that lasted less than six months. That restaurant was Goods. When launching Goods, we failed to create a business plan before jumping. We didn't bother with a partnership agreement, and we missed some major component, components on our income statement. Our experience with goods is a big reason we feel we're the ones that can ask the questions. Why? Because we need answers. 
So aside from our own firsthand experience inside restaurants, including that one pretty epic fail, we are currently the founders of Tillit NYC. It's a hospitality workwear brand that has proudly outfitted over 4,000 restaurants and counting since launching our business in 2012. We are so fortunate to witness from the outside many restaurants come to life. And being part of that journey is one of the best parts of our job. We want to share that feeling and all the lessons that can be learned with all of you. When it comes to resources for budding restaurant entrepreneurs, we've both felt that the industry is underserved. There's a wealth of knowledge available and some of the sharpest minds in the business, chefs and restaurateurs, aren't afraid to share it. Our goal is that this platform can help bridge the gap between the teacher and the student with lessons that will help guide your path as well as cautionary tales that might make your dream a bit closer to a reality. The first 12 episode season will sequentially take you through the steps of your business plan from choosing the right partners to nailing design and getting those doors finally open. We will be picking the brains of industry, looter, of industry leaders, including Chef Missy Robbins, restaurateurs Vicki Freeman and Mark Meyer, and Chef Stephen Satterfield, just to name a few. So if you're in the process of building a business plan, just starting culinary school or improving and expanding on your current business, or just like to know what goes on behind the scenes of a restaurant, we hope this podcast will entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey from idea to opening soon. Cool. So that takes us to today, which is uh, about building a restaurant business. And first is the plan, right? The business plan. So when you first committed to your restaurant venture, likely you've got tons of ideas swimming around in your head and probably aren't quite sure where to start. The first step usually is organizing them into an actionable plan, aka your business plan, right? This is the difference between a six-month run and probably outlasting a 25-year lease. Today, we're lucky enough to have in the studio with us Ryan Butler and Hugo Murray, two of the three founders of Butler Bake Shop, to talk about the components to a successful starting point, as well as when it's okay to be flexible and when it's important to not compromise. So Butler, uh, Butler Bake Shop is the type of cafe every neighborhood should be so lucky to have. And luckily, Jenny and I live about a block away from their first shop. So we, we see them we do every have day. It, so we, can, <laughs> we can preach to that. It's a, it's a killer coffee program. They've got the sweet and savory pastries, seasonal plates from Michelin-starred pastry chef Ryan, uh, also the partner. And um, they've, we've also been able to watch them grow from the single shop, you know, just a few customers, neighborhood, neighborhood place, to now two outlets, one of which is in uh, Dumbo Waterfront and is just absolutely killing it for the businesses and obviously all the tourists that come through there. Um, so we've seen them go from, you know, small place to a, to a growing business. And, and Hugo is really the one that's responsible, you know, in taking the lead on the ladder, which is growth and maintaining the numbers as well as a great brand presence while, while going through all that. The third partner, uh, Rod Caligato, is not with us today, but he handles the operations, including staffing, payroll, finances, and vendor relations for, for Butler Bake Shop. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you, guys. So happy to have you both here. Um, so tell us, how did Butler come about? When did you formulate the plan and you know the idea and everything? Um, you know, Butler Bake Shop uh, was something that I had dreamed up for many years, you know, I was primarily working in fine dining and being the pastry chef at several restaurants, and I, I, I really wanted to pivot into um, <clears throat> more of a, you know, casual um, coffee program and ca more casual pastries that are, you know, kind of nostalgic in a way. Um, but, you know, taking some of the techniques that I've used over the years and some of the interesting ingredients and kind of going with that. Um, and, you know, luckily, we um, are doing really well. I'm very yeah. happy. So when did you, so 
you met Rod first, right, right, Ryan? And so you guys had worked in restaurants together for years. So, and then Hugo came into the picture a little bit later after you sort of had formulated the idea for Butler. So when you met Rod and you were like, okay, I want to do this, tell me, like, when were you like, we're going to work <clears> together <throat> and this is the plan and then we need to find another partner and come up with, like, a, a fully formulated well, business yeah, plan. Did How did you put it to paper, I guess, put right. pen to paper on the whole idea? Well, actually, the story goes like this. Rod had, um, you know was having his first child, so he had left the restaurant group right. that we were with. Um, and I hadn't seen him in a while, and I was still kind of uh, working in a restaurant on, in the West Village. And out of the blue, I gave him a call one day when I was riding my bike around Williamsburg, and I was like, what's going on, man? And he's like, you know, I want to do this coffee shop. And I was like, you know what? I'm thinking of opening a bakery cafe. So it was like fortuitous. So maybe yeah. we should talk about doing this together. And at the time, we did have another partner um, who was working with Rod, and they were already, like, you know, scouting sites and things like that. Um, so we started having meetings and started talking about it and starting putting things down on paper. Yeah, so Rod was home with... Rod was Mr. Mom, by the way. And basically, like, everybody in Williamsburg knew Rod. Right. It was like, he was... He's the king, king of the mothers. He was king. He really... Now like, he everybody puts, in Williamsburg and Dumbo know Rod. If, <laughs> no. if not further out. So. But in a, in a great way. So I love that, brand. you know, he... Yeah, he's definitely growing the, the brand. So, so you and Rod sort of had this idea. You started... You put pen to paper about this is the yeah. plan, and you started looking for spaces. Yeah, right? looking at spaces, writing preliminary menus, and kind of just, you know thinking about if we could do this and if we should do this and you know there has to come a time I think when everybody in their own mind comes to like you know maybe this isn't a good idea yeah and were you guys looking at spaces based on the plan and, and doing the menu based on the plan or were you kind of going the other way looking at spaces changing the plan deciding how the menu would fit the space that you saw right I think you know especially doing a lot of baking you have to have the ability to bake, um, have the space, the actual right. ovens and stuff like that. So I think our plan was dependent upon what we were going to actually find, you know, vis-a-vis okay. uh, -vis the rent being, you know, affordable, something we could handle, um, space, location, and, and things like that. And I think Hugo really brought a lot of the research with, you know, location to the table when he came on board with us. So how did you, how did you guys meet? Hugo? I was actually uh, brought in, I was, I was working in advertising at the time on, on Madison Avenue and um, Rod was in a mother's group. And, uh, <laughs> there it is. One, there it is. One of my good friends, uh, Ali Hanley, uh, was chatting with Rod and he said that the, the third business partner had dropped out and uh, they were looking for someone. She said, you know, you should talk to my friend Hugo. Uh, so I came and met Rod and Ryan, uh, their place. We started talking about the idea and the vision. Um, we kind of had a, a penny drop moment when we were trying to navigate what each other's vision was and we started talking about places that we love and um, I named a place in, in San Francisco that I really love and uh, Ryan kind of smirked and I said, what's funny? And he said, oh, it's one of my, my favorite places and I think it was a, a good moment of, you know, we're, we're aligned on, on what we want to do here. So then it, it all made sense for you guys to join forces together. So you're leaving a career in advertising and coming into this and then who took so who took the lead on formulating the plan who came up with the numbers and did that all change when you entered the picture well rod and ryan already had the makings of a really great business plan yeah. and i think you know enough to get their um first two investors interested uh and it was enough to you know they sent it to me and um to to get me excited about it and 
so when when I joined and we looked at more at you know what the locations would be and started to drill down and my first step was kind of to figure out how much money we would need mm-hmm. um, and we we looked at the original budget and ended up doubling it um, that's a big change <laughs> that's not a small that's not a small change that's like oh we got to double this what what was the red flag for you there wasn't really any red flag I think the the numbers were smartly based around the, right. the biggest item which is you know construction and build out but there was it was just so many small line items when you get into a detailed budget of things that you don't think of initially like a sound system or point of sale units or you know having an adequate startup budget you know money in reserve to kind of go for the first three to six months before yeah. you fully hit your stride with your uh, your local customers but you, and you're a first-time restaurateur so that's a pretty amazing thing to just call out initially like, were there other resources that you used or mentors or what made you sort of like have that aha moment that hey guys we sort of need to double the budget here it was, um, I mean, they, they make you do a lot of budgets and advertising, so it's <laughs> kind of uh, applying some of those similar um, skill sets from a, you know, a campaign production into, you know, doing a, a build out for a, a cafe bakery. Um, but I think it was just, you know, spending the time to go through in detail. And then we, I had a few, you know, friends that I really respected the business advice of and sent them the numbers and, you know, they said, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Um, so got some input from them, continued to refine it. Um, and those things change quite a bit depending on the space that you take. Had you guys had the space at South Fifth Street at this point or? We, um, Rod and Ryan had found it and okay. we, we kind of, I think I went down and looked at it uh, immediately after our, our first meeting, I remember. Um, excitedly, you know, cycling down there to look at it. We, I, Rod and I kind of went on a, a bicycle tour of, uh, bicycle tour and real estate tour of getting to know you around Brooklyn. That's so romantic. <laughs> it was. <laughs> We're on a tandem bike. Yeah. <laughs> I was um, cooking dishes in our apartment to test for the rest of <laughs> Well, these guys are out riding bikes around Brooklyn. So, so you're eating more and they're getting fit cycling around Brooklyn. <laughs> I love it. No, we were eating everything. <laughs> yeah. Tastings um, afterward. But we, we probably looked at, you know, another 40 properties in different neighborhoods around Brooklyn. And I think it was worth doing it, just confirm that South Fifth Street was the right one for us. Uh, and then once we feel, felt good about it, we were able to kind of refine the numbers. We'd build a financial model that was um, had some variables like, you know, how many how many seats, how many square feet, what are the, right. you know, because that obviously affects your, your fit out costs. Right. It's just, it's just curious because I guess you, once you... How much time can lapse between when you find the space while you, you know, rework your plan and kind of dive in all those things? Will, will the space still be still be there when you're done with all that? You've raised money. You've gotten people to sign on. I mean, that could take some people six months or a year, realistically. So then going back, was there any risk of losing the space or... We, we were fortunate that we didn't. The, you know, we met the um, the developers, the landlords, right. who are two brothers and really, you know, good guys. They they we had a great relationship with them. They loved the concept, um, and we were kind of moving at a mile a minute in terms of committing to that uh, with them, and then also beginning to pitch investors. And it was kind of a an all in approach. They wanted to move quickly, and it, it just worked out timing wise. We were, we were fortunate we didn't we didn't lose it. How long, do you guys have an idea of how long it took you from basically your ideation, Ryan with Rod, before you had actually taken a lease on your first restaurant? We, I mean, the guys kind of started talking about it in January. Um, we, we signed, we started pitching investors in March and we, we officially signed the lease in, in June. 
That's fast. That's um, fast. <laughs> that's really fast. And we opened in October. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's really whoa. fast. Whoa. You opened in four months. I didn't realize that. From June to October. From signing the lease. From but there was a, lease, you know, a right. lot of kind of pre-work on, on the uh, business plan and the uh, investor uh, relations and all of that. Did, your inv- did any of your investors give you serious pointers or serious pushback on the original model or anything? Or was everybody just sort of like... Yeah, were there yes. mentors involved with your investors or were they more just capital to, to get you going? Um, I think the majority of our investors, um, you know, give us a lot of input and helpful advice. Uh, they also ask a lot of really smart questions, often ones that we hadn't thought of. Right. And we, we like having that relationship with them. Um, like how will you play music without a sound system? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I think the, the questions that they were asking us that I was most surprised about, we were trying to run everything uh, in such a lean fashion um, because, you know, we, we thought that they wouldn't want to have to, um, you know, provide more money. But I think what I learned after a while is that investors actually wanted to see that you had a lot of money in reserve for things that go wrong or unexpected delays with launch or not knowing exactly how it's get, how long it will take to reach that kind of traction or sticking point with, with your customer base. Um, right. That was probably the biggest learning. Yeah. I mean, those are, it's, those are great lessons. Um, how, so speaking of that, how long did it take you and what did, like, where did you diverge from the plan, um, from what you had originally thought and how long did it take you to get to that sticking point with your customers? Um, you know, we're constantly evolving. I think, you know, we're constantly moving in a direction that, you know, we, we want to provide, uh, the products that people are looking for. We want to be innovative, but we also want to stick to who we are. You know, yeah. all our things are handmade, and they'll always be handmade. Um, and, you know, that gives a personal touch, and I think that's really important to our model. For sure. It was, it was probably about nine months until we um, broke even, though. And, to, and you, we were talking a little bit before, and you mentioned that there were some sacrifices that had to be made. So, what? Like, <laughs> tell me, tell me what happened in order to get to that point, and where you sort of like diverged from the plan in order to be like, we have to break even at this point. This is what we're going to do. Well, I mean, the biggest one was our own salaries. You know, we all went. We had a pretty lean salary to begin with. Oh yeah, um, very lean. We, we know that from being entrepreneurs. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> like you're, everybody thinks you're getting paid, you're not. You're like blood, and, sweat, and tears. Yeah. And, uh, and then we, I think we started by taking about 25% off that and then we quickly went to 50% and wow. stayed there for, you know, probably six to nine months. Um, but this was, this is a backup plan, right? This is not something, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, people often say, oh, well, I don't have to make any money for the first year. I can do this without, you know, paying myself. And that, I don't think that that's necessarily the, a good thing, yeah. a good approach. And I think it, as a backup plan, the way you guys employed it makes a lot of sense. I agree. Um, it's like that's one thing. Build it into your business plan, people. Pay yourself. Yeah, if you're not rewarded, yourself. you're unhappy. Yeah, like, things just don't work the same way. So, so this was a backup plan for you guys of like. Yeah, I mean, it was, we hadn't kind of had the plan originally. It was a right. it was a necessity, but I right. to, I totally right. agree with you. I mean, if you if you're not paying yourself, eventually it's going to impact your relationships, and I think your customers can see it too. Right. Um, but so we we kind of started there with salary reductions, and then. You know, Rod was doing every barista shift. I was doing. I can attest to that. I saw Rod at many six a.m. mornings. <laughs> Ryan was, you know, working 13, 14 hours a day, yeah. um, baking everything. Um, but you know, we we got there, um, and it was it was kind of 
I think just at the right time that uh, we, we started to gain a lot of traction with customers and a lot of repeat business and it, uh, it worked out. I mean, nine months to be breaking even and having a and having traction and having lots of butts and seats is a very, very big accomplishment. So kudos to you guys. Thank you. Um, with that, we're going to take a super quick break to hear from um, our friends at Bento Box. Marietta is a small, tight-knit community in Georgia. I should know, it's actually my hometown. Husband and wife, Dan and Lauren, and Dan's parents, Jeff and Rachel, wanted to give back to their community and open a restaurant that celebrated the history of their hometown. They preserved a historic building near the city square and refurbished it to its original character. They worked with local farmers, craft brewers, and artisans to create a menu and space that felt like home. Two Birds Tap House opened its doors in July 2016, and it's still a staple in Marietta today. Bento Box helped Two Birds Tap House build an online image and beautiful new website that attracts new and repeat customers. It sells merchandise and features events like Tuesday Trivia. Two Birds Tap House is one of 4,000 restaurants that's powered by Bento. Visit getbento.com slash opening soon to learn more. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Sari Kamen. And I'm Leah Kurtz. And together we host Food Without Borders here on HRN. Immigrants make our food system vibrant, diverse, and delicious. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about how food connects them to their past as we explore what it's like to be an immigrant in the U.S. today. You can find Food Without Borders wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. So opening soon, we're here with uh, Ryan Butler and Hugo Murray from uh, Butler Bake Shop. And we're going to get into some more questions, but just kind of want to do a quick wrap-up of, um, I guess, our, the, the biggest point that we got from the first half, which was, um, to me anyway, and that may differ for you guys, but doubling your budget. I think, you know, when you go into a restaurant business, everybody talks about how you're definitely going to need more than, than you think, and you need enough for the first three to six months, six to nine months, whatever it is, um, of not doing a whole lot of business or not doing quite as much as you'd expect. Um, and I think we mentioned earlier that double was not was still not even enough, and hence the, uh, the, the salary cuts uh, to get to where you wanted to get within the first nine months. And so, so I think that's like a, a huge point is, you know, once you finish your balance sheet of just adding a, a few more zeros to that <laughs> before you <laughs> jump in, jump into business. Easier said than done. Always. Right? Um, one of my favorite <clears throat> say, I always say hindsight is 2020, right? Cause when you look back, you feel like everything was perfect. You know, everything could have been perfect if I had done X, but you know, looking back, like what was, what do you feel like was the most important component of your plan that you guys have really held true to that really got your like investors interested and, and really helped you take off? I think, you know, having a, a point of difference compared to what else is out there in the market is really yeah. important. And that's what got a lot of our investors excited. Um, obviously, you know, we had um, Ryan, which I think was a big point of difference against an, a lot of other neighborhood coffee shops. Yes. Uh, yeah. Having a Michelin star. I think, you know, I guess what was most important in the business plan was the financials uh, and planning. I, I mentioned before, you know, cash flow reserves, but also 
um, you know, investors want to know when they're going to get a return on their investment mm. and how, how much that will be over the course of the 10 years. What are the, um, you know, what's the end game? Uh, where do you hope to take it? Yeah. So you, and you mentioned like the financials and all that, and that aspect. So what about people who, what advice do you have for people who aren't numbers people? So, you know, you guys had Rod who had owned restaurants in Australia. So he sort of started, you know, the basis of the plan. And then you came in knowing budgets from, from advertising, which is sort of applicable, but you know, you're, you're making some connections there. What, it, like, where did you fill What resources did you use to like fill in the gaps? Like, what do you, what do people who maybe don't have a Rod and a Hugo on their team do? I mean, I would definitely advise asking for help. And yeah. uh, obviously an easy first place is your accountant that they do it professionally, but they're also expensive. So, yeah. you know, if you have friends that work in finance um, or have written business plans before, it's kind of a logical place to start. And sometimes there's only so many favors you can ask people, but you know, you might start talking to them and they become very passionate about the idea. And, you know, in some cases you can say, look, do you want to invest? And we could give you a discount on your investment, kind of a, a sweat equity deal. Uh, is another option that you can go if you can't pay people for their time, but they're, they're really uh, invested in your idea. Yeah, that's a, that's a super, that's a really good point. I mean, I remember when I was in business school and we were starting till it, I was like every single class project, I was like, I need it. I, I have a project. And that's how <laughs> we got a lot of our financial models at the beginning. But it's true. I mean, that's a really interesting point about like asking people for help for sweat equity. Do you know people who have done that? Yeah, I know a lot of people that have uh, they've done it, and um, I've been asked before. And yeah. yeah, I think it's a smart model. Super smart. So, and what about how have things like progressed and changed, and what have you done differently from from you know number one in South Williamsburg, the first location, to Dumbo, um, you know Butler two and Dumbo? What were like things of that plan that changed? What stayed the same? You know, the, the vast majority of it stayed the same. I think the biggest difference between the first and the second one were we knew what investors were asking for and what we didn't have in the first one, which was a, a real deep dive on the location choice and why that specific location. So we kind of got into the nitty gritty of like MTA stats on turnstile. Um, you, you did know, turnstile clicks? Yeah, turnstile clicks. How do you even get that and, information? It's on the MTA website. Really? <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the internet. The World Wide Web. So you weren't standing on the sidewalk clicking. Oh, I was picturing Hugo with one of those people counters, like clicking. Yeah. Their we, did, we didn't do that on subways, but we uh, for our second, actually for both locations, we did do foot traffic on the street. On the street you did like a foot. To, yeah. Did you have one of the clickers? We didn't have a clicker. We just no. uh, used eyeballed the, it. Yeah. <laughs> Patent I mean, paper. Dumbo is an interesting. Rod talked to everybody as they went by. Exactly. It's like <laughs> traffic. Yeah. yeah. Rod is a really good uh, a read on people. I, yeah. So I could see him you know, stopping everybody and interviewing them sort of doing case studies Dumbo is an interesting location because it's you know there's a lot of like tourists there's a lot of stuff already built up there were you worried about like the competition and choosing that location I mean honestly yes there's a lot of great competition down there but there's just um, there's so many you know businesses opening up down there you know ad agencies and tech companies and design based businesses that were a great fit with our model um there's more and more residents like there's you know new construction everywhere and just with the brooklyn bridge there it seemed like a, a huge opportunity for us to get down there and add add one more offering 
You guys are half a block from like the Instagram spot of all Instagram spots in Williams and uh, uh, in Dumbo. I mean, the view down the, the to, view the, uh, down to the Manhattan Bridge. Bridge. I saw something. Washington, there was something in New York Washington Magazine. Street. Yeah, Washington Street. There was something in New York Magazine like a week or so ago of all the. There's like hundreds of thousands of photos taken on that block every day or something insane. So. We call it Instagram Alley. Instagram yeah. Alley. You should take your pastries down there and just like <laughs> photo bomb everyone with. <laughs> Cinnamon rolls and <laughs> and your lovely and pink pastry <laughs> and your lovely pink coffee cups. Yes, yes for yeah. sure. What uh, uh, as as we talked about earlier, like the numbers and like how you know how the 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 um, quantity of investment you needed for the first place was so drastically different than what you guys had initially started at the second spot. Did you do you feel like you hit that better or? Yeah, I mean, we, we had more money in reserve. But we weren't kind of cutting it as fine. Um, it was a bigger space. It was a larger um, construction budget, but um, it was probably more accurate the second time. We also had the benefit of a second one. You know, the landlords had offered some um, tenant improvement allowance, which was helpful, but they don't really do that on your first. Well, they, they didn't for us. Uh, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah so you had some time. How long did it take you on the second on the second location from when you were like, okay, we're going to go for this. This is the, you know, this is the place. How long did it take you to get opened again? It was uh, 14 months from when we started looking to when we opened the doors, but um, probably eight months from when we signed the lease and opened the, uh, the LLC. Still pretty fast. And that was the second spot part of the first business plan? Yeah, it was, it was always kind of, you know, the last page in, in the proposal deck was we, we want to do more of these, uh, right. which a lot of investors... So there's more pages in the in the first business plan. There's there's more of these... Yeah, more exactly, more exactly. Coming. Yeah, <laughs> and, and to be honest, I and think... How in, yeah, how in-depth did you go with each of those, or was it just like the goal is to have second and third shops, or...? We kind of put a, a, a goal on the number of locations in, in, in how many years, uh, but we also expressed, you know, other... Um, categories within food and beverage that we're really interested in, that we're passionate about. And I think investors really appreciated that to see that this wasn't a, a one and done scenario. There was legs to, to go further. Right. I feel like I remember you guys talking about an ice cream shop at some point. We still love talking was... about ice cream shops. <laughs> Maybe. You can always have another ice cream shop. There can always a be. A better ice cream a, shop. You know, I, uh, I really miss making ice cream, and I miss a lot of those kind of finer things that I used to do a lot of, and hopefully we'll get there sooner than later. Cool. Something to look forward to. Something to look forward to. Yes, we always love ice cream. As a pregnant lady, all I want in life is ice cream. Pizza and ice cream. Pizza and ice cream. That's um, all I want, too. So every episode, we'll ask a question that we've crowdsourced from an audience since this is our first episode. We didn't get a chance to crowdsource one, but we do have one from our team at Tillit. So the question is, what was the backup plan or was there a backup plan if you know things shouldn't work out or if you had to change course? It's a, it was a tough question. Some, sometimes we'd, you know, we'd start talking about it and shy away and say, this isn't going to fail. We can do this kind of thing. But I think we knew salary was the, the biggest expense. And, um, you know, Ryan, Rod and Ryan were so integral to, to running the day-to-day. The, the backup plan was that I would, um, you know, at first freelance, uh, uh, you know, three or four days a week, which I had to do for a little while. So um, you could eat. <laughs> so I could eat, but also just take less money yeah, from so Butler. Yeah. Um, 
And then worst case scenario, you know, one by one, we'd have to go back to our old jobs um, or, or, you know, we'd also looked at bank loans and extra credit cards and all that type of thing. But thankfully, it didn't it didn't quite get that far. It was just to take a haircut on your salary for um, for a while and then get back into it. Yeah, you guys are, are super fortunate. I, I think, you know, you, Jenny asked that question because of our, you know, our experience with goods. And um, we actually consider ourselves very lucky that we didn't have an exit plan. We didn't have a business plan to begin with, <laughs> really. So, but, but we did have, you know, the the sense to to pull pull the trigger and, and get out when we needed to. And I think um, I would advise that anyone going forward as part of their business plan have some sort of um, where's where's the eject button, you know, and what does that mean for you? You know, where does that need to hit so that you can still have a life for your family so you can have a roof over your head so that your friends that invested in you don't hate you forever like how do you how do you exit gracefully you know having said i tried this and i did it but now you know let's close the doors and try and start a fashion company <laughs> like us <laughs> i mean in, in respect of that i think you know you can't really going in it expecting to fail but i also think you know you have to be humble enough to take the right risks in the right places mm-hmm. right um and then, you know, be humble enough to know when to quit and when right. to get out, you know. I mean, and I think that people that don't try and do things are the people that are will have regrets that, you know, if you try something and don't really succeed doing it, um, at least you tried it. Well, yeah. I think all entrepreneurs are a little crazy, right? We all have a little bit of that. <laughs> Let's take a risk and see what happens. And some of us are more risk adverse than others. But, yeah, you have to try it out and it's true it's like you don't go in it expecting to fail so that's number one yeah cool should we move on to yeah. uh, speed round speed round <clears throat> um, so this one like I guess it's some are I think they're all like almost one word answers except for a couple but I'll go ahead and start um, one word that describes how you feel about being your own boss Hugo motivated motivated mm. Ryan challenging challenging um, number of days off in your first year of business. You go. Honestly, it was all such a, a blur, especially the first six months. But I, it was probably twenty-five or thirty. In the first year. Yeah, two days a month. My shoddy quick math works <laughs> properly. Ryan. Um, yeah, I don't, really, I don't really remember. <laughs> yeah, luckily, um, we have very uh, patient and very supportive wives. We have to give them a little bit of shout out because yes. they definitely yeah. helped us out. Um, when we opened the first butler, Aaron, my wife, was actually just giving birth. So, but, a, like a week before, a right? Week before, yeah, literally so, a week before. You know, uh, I can't really remember all that time all that much. So, no, I remember it was, it was parental there. and new business amnesia. <laughs> yeah. Aside from support, was, was there was family in this thing? Like, you know. Putting posters on walls and yeah, my father helped put the wallpaper up in the bathroom. At all right, all right. Actually, did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice looking wallpaper. It is very nice wallpaper. Yeah. yeah, I hope you listen to this. Good job, Dad. <laughs> Alright, you're next. How many days off have you had in the last week? It's a lot better now than it was in the Six early days. Six for Hugo. He's really yeah. living the life now. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably a day and a half. All right, so it's. Marked improvement, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, about the same. I mean, you know, there's always a, a pop in or a few emails to write or any kind of stuff like that. So. Or the Department of Health that yeah. uh, got got you in today. Yeah, that was today, and yeah. you're still here. Good Thank job. you for coming. Yeah. Wow. 
So let's pretend you're world-renowned traveling speakers and the power of the restaurant business plans. Give us your one-line motivational quote. <laughs> it's your book title. It's your book title. Oh, it's not a great book title. But <laughs> failing to plan is uh, planning to fail. Ooh, oh, that's I a good like one. it. I like it. Is that it. an original or is that? No, no, no that's, a, that's a famous one. Yeah. Yeah. But it's always a good one. Borrowed. It's a good one to remember. <laughs> Ryan, what do you got? Have a vision and stay the course. Have good a one vision as well. And stay the course. I like it. Okay, where are we? Favorite thing about owning a restaurant? I mean, I personally love the immediacy of launches and getting customer feedback from people is, is the most exciting part, just the, the pace that it moves at. And Ryan? Uh, I, I really like seeing people happy and seeing expressions on their faces when you deliver something awesome to them and, you know, really make their day and kind of, you know, connect with somebody in that way. Yeah. You know, it's really fulfilling for me to tell someone to tell me, like, that was, like, really good. And they were not expecting it to be that good. And that's a very, very, very good day for me. Yeah. Yes, remember to tell the chefs and business owners everything that you love. I mm. always, yeah, that, that's like so much more fulfilling than money or anything that's else. That's why you, th- people do what they do. Yeah, right? for sure. Definitely. I mean, the same for us is when we see somebody come in to till it and try on clothes and they're like, oh, this actually is a chef code that fits. It's like, that's like the best feeling ever. That's yeah. the win. That's the win. Uh, least favorite thing. I get a little tense every time I see a Google review pop up. <laughs> <in my laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, I feel, I feel like people by now should know that to take those with a grain of salt. That Absolutely. They're either very angry or they're very happy or probably your brother. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Those are the best. It's like five stars and it's like, oh, you know, everything is so good. They do nothing wrong. It's like clearly you wrote that. We have one on Tillet that says we have terrible tacos. <laughs> no, it's terrible nachos. Nachos, Beef sorry. nachos. Yeah. We're like, we don't sell nachos. We, we don't about pancakes and waffles. And we don't sell <laughs> you don't sell either. those either. I no. know. So, you know. I was very upset about that. <laughs> My mom uh, gave us a review and accidentally did one star and then got oh, come on, mom. <laughs> You're like, mom. <laughs> locked out of her account and couldn't change oh, it. Oh, come on. So it was kind oh, of a, a, running, a running joke. You're like, Mom. <laughs> Did she come Ooh. in and bought tons of pastries to make up for it? No, no, no. She only came in once. She lives in Australia. Right, she, uh, everyone right. just said, oh, you have a tough mom. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Um, Brian, what's your least favorite thing about owning a restaurant? <clears throat> I mean, you know, it's hard for me to focus on one thing at a time. I think it's like wearing a lot of hats all the time and doing a lot of different things and having like at least three or four people talking to you at the same time about something else. I find I find very challenging, you know, not being able to focus on one thing at a time. Yeah. Always multitasking. Always. Always multitasking. Yeah. What about your biggest oh shit moment? Like could be like oh shit, that's amazing. That cool thing happened or it could be like, oh shit, that just happened. I mean, for me, uh, the first day that we opened Dumbo, you know, I was expecting kind of a slower build, uh, <laughs> and it was more like, you know, a mob scene for the first ten minutes. That's and amazing. I was like, yeah, I mean, it was great, but it was just unexpected, you know. And it was like, this is really, this is for real, you know. I was really stoked to get uh, the the Dumbo launch featured in the the New York Times opening section that kind of given us one slot, and it was way too close to where we needed to be finished but the whole team kind of rallied and you know worked overnight and and weekends and then they shot it and nice photo of ryan smiling face in in the new york times that was kind of a a big felt like a really big win that's a big big win yeah very big nothing like seeing your business in the new york times in a good way 
Yeah. In a good way. In a good way. <laughs> In a <bad> way. <laughs> you want to share something? No, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, having been part of a lot of restaurants, you know, you always win. You know, the New York Times was gospel at that point, and if that review came out and you didn't like that number of stars, it was a very bad day. Yeah, for sure. What's your favorite dish on the Butler menu right now? Uh, I mean, for me right now, it's the triple chocolate croissant. Mm-hmm. So we use uh, a dark chocolate from Valrona, a caramelized milk chocolate, and then we actually put some devil's food cake in there and then some crunchy chocolate stuff in there. There's so. devil's food cake in there? I didn't even know that. Is this yeah. in uh, Williamsburg? Yes, yeah. it's in Williamsburg. Mm-hmm. Tell our child to weekend stay away order. from it. <laughs> weekend order coming up. Right. We're going to give that to our kid at 8.30 in the morning. It's going to be set up for a wonderful Saturday. Yes. So what's the most ordered dish on the Butler menu right now? I think, you know, the breakfast sandwich has is, is, uh, always been popular. We, we uh, launched on News Day just as a special and we we're still young, kind of three months in and we sold 10 and we we're like, wow, that's amazing. We should put this on the menu full time and now... I think you guys did probably 120 of them on a on a Saturday. So it's wow. 120 breakfast sandwiches between both. Because still, yeah, that's a lot of breakfast sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, yeah not to mention all the pastries and everything else delicious you sell. Yeah, impressive. Will we ever see a, a sandwich on one of your scones? It's not a bad idea. We'll take being, it into consideration. Please, please. putting in a request now. <laughs> I think he's putting uh, in a rev share deal. Yes. <laughs> um, the number of them that I will eat will probably fuel your next uh, <laughs> your next venture. Uh, so, so we're going to do uh, as our title of the podcast is opening soon. We're going to you know shout out a couple of restaurants or bars that we know of that we've uh, are excited about. So if, if you guys have any as well, um, we know Rochambeau is opening in uh, Boston, and Jenny, you can speak a little bit more to, to the concept. Yeah, there. they've been building for a long time. It's going to be a cool space. It's designed by Home Studios, who's had some interesting projects. They did like the Loyal in New York. Um, and it's actually going to be two spaces, French brasserie upstairs and a little French cafe with pastries and coffee downstairs. So, you know, that's a fun opening to look forward to if you're in the Boston area. Cool. And then uh, Essex Market officially this week closed the doors in the old location, which is a sign, I believe, that the new one should be any, any, uh, any minute now. Um, we're really excited for that one. It's right around the corner from the Tillet offices. From HQ. Yeah, and it's got some. We, we've been in Lower East Side residence for a long time, and so we've seen all the old vendors and you know how loved they are in the neighborhood. And so we really need to see them go into this big new space. And then there's obviously a, a bunch of amazing uh, younger businesses going in there, like uh, the Sussmans, uh, Samisa, and uh, the Contra guys have a wine shop going in. And there's there's gonna be a ton of, of great places in there. So we're excited for that. Um, and then the last one I have on my list is I know, uh, Ryan, we've gone together, our families, to Winson, and they're doing a bakery pretty soon. You got any more lowdown on what's happening there, when it's happening? Um, no, no more information, but I live on the block, so I, I walk by there pretty You're much ready. every day. They're <laughs> also doing a takeaway, I think, like a quick service, like, takeout oh, cool. space, which I'm excited about because I will order there all the time. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's good. I mean, our neighborhood, we live in East Williamsburg around here, and it's kind of uh, vacant of that stuff, so we're excited for that. Uh, and I heard some other folks are doing another kind of all-day cafe near me as well. I'm not sure who, though. Is there a name on that? No. I think it's the people from Walter Foods. This is hearsay, oh, though, but I'm not sure. Anything else that you guys know of? Uh, there's Burke Street Bakery, which is a very popular um, bakery in Sydney, are opening up their first New York City location in Manhattan. Their bread's oh, cool. supposed to be out of this world. It's amazing, yeah. So I'm excited to uh, get in there and check it out. They're, they're really talented. That's um, Birch Street? 
Uh, Burke, B O U R K E. Yep. Um, and there's also Time Out Market opening up yeah, um, sure across from us in right, Dumbo. Clint Street Baking Company and Miss Ada's going Ada. in. Miss Ada is awesome. So yep. keen to check that out. Yeah. Cool. Um, where are we? So I, I guess if our listeners have any updates on openings or if you have your own restaurant yourself that you're planning on opening soon, uh, give us a shout on Instagram and uh, we'll try and tell the world. Or at least we'll tell whoever's listening to our podcast. <laughs> um, next week, we're going to be chatting with uh, the team from the Bowery Group. So we're super excited to have Vicki Freeman, Mark Meyer, and Chris Parascoviatis. Uh, together, they've successfully operated restaurants since 1999 and are responsible for four current restaurants, including Cookshop, Shuka, Vix, and Rosie's. And I believe they might have one more opening soon as well. Uh, we'll find out next week. Special thanks again to Ryan Butler, Hugo Murray from Butler Bake Shop. Um, tell us where everybody can find you guys. You can find us at the corner of uh, South Fifth and Berry in Williamsburg or 40 Water Street in Dumbo. Cool. And what about on social... Uh, at Butler Bake Shop or visit our site butler-nyc.com cool uh, and for us follow the journey on Heritage Radio and subscribe on iTunes Stitcher or anywhere else you get your podcasts and don't forget to follow us on Instagram at we are opening soon and at till it NYC thanks guys thanks first guys. episode thanks Damn. for having us yeah, thank you so fun Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.